0: If you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, if you have a Bible with you. It's in the Old Testament, that means it's near the beginning. It goes, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. That's how it goes. Um, We're going to be looking at that in just a moment. Okay, I want to just answer a few questions quickly before we really launch into the message around um, why it is we're doing this series on faith. Um, I, just want to, I just, In my preparation, I've been pondering it a bit really, so I thought it might be helpful to just give you a few reasons why. Um, this is, at least as far as I know, the last week in the series. I thought that last week, but... Um, it turned out not to be so, but as far as I know, this is the last week on the series. But why are we doing this series on faith? Number one, I took a break over the summer just to family health challenges. And um, so, uh, so, Davina had had cancer and was coming through chemotherapy. And we'd hit a point really where um, I just needed to take the time off over the summer holidays to look after the kids because she didn't have the energy. Uh, and then had a, And then had September off really to just pray, seek God, try and get a, a sense of fresh. Direction and, and faith. If, you, if there was one thing that I would say I felt God was speaking into my heart about, it's this thing faith. That's one reason. Secondly, I think it's something that's been abused in the church generally, uh, either been neglected or been taught at the expense of everything else uh, and created a real caricatured environment. It's just wonky. And uh, it's the only thing that's ever spoken about, preached, talked about, sung about at the expense of the other Christian virtues and graces. And as a result, you end up with a really strange deal. Um, uh, So I'm trying to bring a, a corrective element to it. I would also say it's something that I think is particularly important for us as a church, every church is supposed to be a micro microcosm of the body of Christ, so the aim for every congregation should be to have a spread of the gifts so that you know the body works well we don 't want to become just oh we 're just into prophecy or we 're just into evangelism. no the idea is is that every congregation Looks like a microcosm of the grand picture of the body of Christ. But by the same token, every church has a contribution to make that um, makes it a blessing, hopefully, to other churches, other streams, um, denominations, movements, etc. I feel like for us as a church, to what God has spoken prophetically over the years, the faith is a big deal for us as a church. Um, I can give you some examples. Um, uh, many of you will know Alex Morton. His sister visited us one Sunday morning and brought a very, I just felt, a very impacting word uh, for us as a church. It was a prophetic word from the Lord for the whole church. And the, 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 the thrust of it was, you will be known for your faith. You may not be known for uh, loads of natural kind of resources or things you know whereby people would be impressed on a natural level. But when it comes to your faith, there will be something in terms of the ground that you make and the things that you accomplish, you will be able to look back to and say, "It was through faith that we got here. It was through believing God." That was a powerful word for the whole church. And then um, Julian Adams, who many of us know uh, in our movement, would be one of the sort of, I guess, most trustworthy prophetic voices. Brought, brought a very similar kind of uh, thing: the whole picture of Gideon's army, the unlikely army, but actually through believing God will accomplish incredible things. Um, and then last uh, Sunday evening, Tom O'Toole had a word, which I thought was very helpful. Uh, for, it was for the church, and I just I want to pick it up, and I want to just use it as a spring ball for next Sunday's message. And I want, I'm going to read to you um, just quickly. You haven't got to turn to it, but it's basically a, a number of years after King David uh, killed, uh, killed the giant Goliath. And just take note of what's happened. It's about a good few years after. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought Against The Philistines and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, great name, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai the Hushathite struck down Sath who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of ja the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was war again at Gath, and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, we've been looking at the story of David David and Goliath, for our series on faith. Up to this point, there's no record of any of these monster men, any of these huge giants being killed. Um, And David's victory over Goliath, which was completely, really, I guess it was paradigm shifting for the Israelites. It was like, oh, these people can be beaten. What we find is years later is that giants have fallen like dominoes. Now what's happened there is an initial victory has been won in an area where people are saying, do you know what, this can't be done. But what happens is David goes through believing God. As a result, others begin to go through much more easily. This is a very, very important word for us, I believe. My sister, who is a a believer but really knows not much about the church. I don't see her loads. She had a word for me where she said, you've got to watch this film 300. And then I, I thought, it looks, looks a bit nasty, heard some horrible things about it, I'll, I'll shelve it. A year later, she said, have you seen it yet? I said, no. She said, you've got to watch it, because God's given me the, the prophetic word for you. So I watched it, um, and basically the deal is that you've got these 300 men who are fighting ten, tens of thousands, tens of thousands, and it's based on a historical account. And um, they just, they, they're just, it's, you know, it's sort of guts and glory and all that. And, um, and my sister said, um, I feel like um, that you as a church will overcome things That the church nationally looks at and says can't be done, but as you do so, you will go through, and others will follow. Faith will come to the wider church. Now, little did when I I saw the film, um, I thought, how many did Gideon have in his army? Went to the Bible, exactly three hundred. Now, these are all these are words coming from people that don't know each other, aren't linked in. God is saying something to us. And it's vital that we really jump into this with all of our might corporately so that we might come into what God has for us and so that we might be a blessing to the wider body of Christ, which we want to be, don't we? yeah we want to be blessed by other churches and the things they go through like HDB and Alfie you yeah, we want to follow through with that evangelistic kind of massive success that we want to c- come into your slipstream we want to walk, we want to benefit from the, the victories of faith other churches have but also we want many other churches to benefit from what we do so let 's be in that place let's be in that mentality as we get into this message today One other thing I would say is this also pastorally i 'm aware that there is what you might call a season of the blues which tends uh, hitting some of us in the church. Um, some of you are experiencing a melancholy, um, um, uh, some of you depression, um, and I'm hearing about it through numbers of different people that it's not just kind of a one-off thing. and I want to just speak into that uh, for just a moment. I'm aware there are different kinds and different degrees of depression, melancholy, blues, however you want to put it. It can be due to external difficulties. It can be due to just internal struggles. Everything looks fine on the outside, but man, if any, if people knew what was going on inside. It can be due to the time of year, the short days, the very little sunshine. It has an impact. It can be hormonal, chemical misbehavior. It can be intense spiritual opposition. It can be tiredness. It can be physical neglect. It can be spiritual neglect. It can be due to loneliness or guilt. It can be due to what seems like insurmountable difficulties or maybe none of the above. But I want to say to you today that we're aware of it. We have a pastoral team in the church that I've trained and we're going to be training another batch this next year of people to be able to really help bring wise counsel, support, pray with you, etc. If that is you and you just feel like, man, I'd love that, please come and see me afterwards. We can, we can arrange for people to meet with you and help you. In that regard, okay, but also I want to say this: Don't fall into the mentality that God's word has nothing to say into this situation. Don't do that. And I think it happens subtly, and I think it happens more frequently than we might think. That we kind of we kind of look at the Bible, and, and we, well, yeah, okay, we're kind of spiritual stuff that's great, but other areas of life, the Bible says that God has given us all we need for life and godliness makes very grand claims for its sufficiency. And whilst not trying to um, be uh, dismissive uh, of other elements, physical elements, etc., medical things, and not trying to be simplistic or naive, by the same token, we must be very confident in the Word of God. And very confident in the Spirit of God. Okay, Because He is the one who made us and knows us better than anybody else. And his word speaks into every area of life. So as we look at this last message on faith today, particularly, obviously every message is going to be a message of faith, right? But particularly focusing in, I want you to be listening for yourself today because I've made it particularly relevant for those of you that are in that season. All right, are you with me? Yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. We thank you that it transcends generations, it transcends culture, we thank you Lord God that it is your timeless word, we thank you Lord God that it is also a timely word and speaks right into our situation of life Lord we pray that your word, your scripture would powerfully penetrate into people's hearts and minds today we pray oh God that we would have a right attitude, a worshipful receiving attitude, I pray for those who would say they don't even necessarily believe in you or not even sure you know, where they're kind of at in terms of believing in Jesus or, or what they think about the Bible, I pray Lord that by your spirit you would authenticate your word today by piercing right into the hearts and minds of those people and bringing life in all its fullness. I pray Lord God that we would be washed by the word today. I pray Lord God that we would be renewed in our mind today. I pray we would be uh, freshly quickened in our hearts. Lord come and work on us by your spirit through your word for Jesus' sake and for our good. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, and um, the situation is, is that I've, I've given a brief background already, but David's rocked up on the scene, um, really just come on an errand from his dad to bring some supplies to his brothers who are in the army, and what he finds is a situation where this monster, uh, Goliath, is really challenging any one individual Israelite to fight him, winner takes all, uh, there's no need to have a war. Um, none of them want to fight him, David says, I do want to fight him, uh, and I want to Want to kill him um, because actually this man represents defiance to the promises of God and the purposes of God. Okay? That's where we're at. That's the situation. And so we're looking at, we looked, started looking last week at five elements of of the life of faith. We looked at three. We're gonna go for start with number four today. Please join me from verse 41. 1 Samuel 17. (coughs) And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand fantastic what a speech (coughs) what's happening here point number four David stops listening and starts speaking in the summer just before I went on my break we hit roughly a five week window Within that window, the arena had two chemotherapy treatments. Basically, chemotherapy treatment meant she went into the hospital for a couple of hours, came out, and then basically laid in bed for about a week. Sometimes couldn't even speak for the week. The nausea was that strong. Within that five-week window, there were two, two chemotherapy sessions. There were all three of our children's birthdays. And there was a house move. And I was leading the church. About a week or two after that, I hit a serious low. I've been in crisis mode for about five months. You know what guys do. There's a problem. All right, we get into crisis mode. Five months in, there really wasn't much left. And I remember walking around Camden during my work hours with a milkshake, thinking, I don't know what to do. I've got nothing left. And I just thought, I need to speak to someone. So I rang a friend called Mike Betts. who's based in East Anglia. He kind of leads uh, a team that I'm a part of that helps to oversee and plant other churches. And I said, look, here's the deal. He heard me. He said, have you, have you considered the doctors for depression? I said, no. <laughs> Don't like doctors. He said... I think you need to stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself. And it was one of those moments, and I thought, yeah. Externally, it's a tough season. Probably the biggest troubles actually were internal. I'd got into a negative rut. And I just thought, that's really, that's really massive, what he just said there. You need to stop listening and start speaking speech is very important we're going to look at this whole area of speech, confession faith, confession, faith, speech today see where we get some of you may have been around lots of different churches some churches this is a huge emphasis we're going to look at how this works Romans 10 verse 8 to 10 says this the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What a verse. See, some people say, believe, just believe accept Jesus into your heart believe him in your heart you know and you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be right with God that's what it says but it also says here and with the mouth confess confess what that Jesus Christ is Lord there's something in declaring it there's something in proclaiming this message here you know it's, it's an incredible thing if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord the Bible says you can't say those words meaningfully without the Holy Spirit You can't actually do it. Only by the Holy Spirit can you declare Jesus is Lord. Take those words on your lips. If you can say those words and it be meaningful for you today, hallelujah, you are saved. That's incredible. But look at the emphasis here on the heart and the mouth. Now, this is an amazing thing. I want to dig into this a bit today and help, help unlock some keys regarding faith and also warn you away from some caricatures. Okay, So that's what we're going to do. It's important to articulate what we actually believe. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13. He says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. He's saying we believe the gospel so we share the gospel. We believe this is the life changing message so we speak about Jesus. We believe Christ, so we take his name on our lips. It's the most natural outworking of genuine faith is to speak. The most natural thing that is to, in terms of what you believe in your core is to speak. We see that throughout scripture. We see it. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There it is again. It's the same thing. Out of what is stored up and overflowing in there, the mouth speaks. At times I'm embarrassed by what comes out of my mouth. Any of you relate to that? And it's only joking. But I think to myself, was I? Was I? Because Jesus says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A much healthier response, rather than saying only joking, would be to say, I think I maybe need to go back and just just see what's going on in there. Just see what's going on in there because that, it's a, that is an indicator of that. There are caricatures of this. Some, some you'll find Christian churches and books that are so focused on this positive confession thing that what develops is a bizarre uh, environment. Um, you either develop an environment where no one is ever honest... No one feels free to be able to say, do you know what, life is really tough at the moment. Or, if someone says, how's it going, you know, you have to say, I'm blessed and highly favoured. There are churches that, you have to, why, well because it's true, and yeah it is true, but it's also, can be dishonest. And we've got to, I want to help you walk this one today, to help you to get it right, okay. Because what we tend to do is we say, well, oh, personally favored. Well, that seems a bit unreal. And we throw the whole thing out. So I want to just help you. First of all, I want, to, I want to give you some warnings to help you understand why we don't want to be in this caricature. understand biblically of having to always say the thing that is theologically true. Okay? I want to show you biblically. Um, because my concern is, is that you develop a dishonest church. Or, or, um, or a church that simply thinks that by saying the same thing again and again and again and again that faith will come and just saying it and saying it and saying it and uh, uh, something bizarre kind of happens and it's just like oh where did that go here's why, here's why um, it goes wrong because what happens is you develop an environment of pressure where people simply feel I must say that because someone has asked me if I don't say that they're going to tell the pastor if I don't say that, they're going to rebuke me give me five points why I'm not that and the Lord The Lord says otherwise and an environment of pressure grows and, and in that environment true faith cannot grow steadily because you're constantly just thinking what am I supposed to say what are the expectations of others and it's kind of like it's like the inquisitions you know, confessions of faith are forced out in the members it's wrong I'll show you how it's wrong Psalm 13, 2. Listen to the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Not exactly victory talk, is it? Not exactly more than a conqueror talk, is it? This is the man inspired by the Holy Spirit. Brutally honest. Listen to Jesus. He said to his disciples, Oh foolish ones. There's a negative confession for you. Oh foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus didn't think, I better not say that to them because then they might think they're foolish and then you know, they're not going to realise that they're kind of blessed and highly favoured. It's not, it's like there's an honesty, uh, gritty, gutsy honestly going on here. Listen to, listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians. We don't want you to be ignorant brothers. This is the apostle right? the apostle that is just every, everyone who wants to be an apostle looks at this guy this is what it's like to be an apostle. We don't want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself Indeed we felt we'd received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now you see that, bang, it switches, the truth is in there, okay, but look what's also there, absolute transparent honesty. This is what it felt like. You're allowed to do that biblically. Christians are allowed to be brutally honest about how they are feeling without feeling like someone's going to hammer them over the head with a scripture. Okay? It's very important that we understand that we're told that Abraham, when he was promised a child, looked at considered his body that it was as good as dead. Yeah, now he looked. He thought, "Oh my goodness!" And then he looked at his wife and thought, "Oh, my. <laughs> it was honest." It's like, "What? How this? You know?" And then he says to God, "Oh, the Ishmael would live before you," because it's certainly not going to happen. But he believed God. Yeah, he did believe God. But he said that, yeah, why? Because he's in the life of faith is not this weird, clinical, unreal thing. Somehow it's mixed in with the harshness of life and you have your struggles and your wobbles. And at that point, if you can't be honest before God, reverently honest, and if you can't speak to a brother or sister and say, this is what it's like, then you are, what have we done? What has been produced? It's an important part of the faith process, human Reality, honesty, we mustn't lose it. God demands honesty from his people. Why? Because God wants friendship. You ever tried making friends with someone who's dishonest? You ever tried that? It's a horrible thing. Did they really mean that or was they just second guessing all the time? God wants friendship as bizarre as it sounds. it's not a friendship of equals, we understand that, but nevertheless, friendship, He wants to know what's in our hearts. He wants to share his heart. It's incredible, but he does. And so for friendship, there must be absolute honesty. There have been times where I've kind of moved away from that subtly, somehow, just I don 't know how it's happened, I've just moved away from it, and then by god 's grace, I've rediscovered it and gone for a walk and just said, "God." I've got no idea stuff to way through here. and Just pour my heart out and I found, man, my burden is lifted. It's a vital part of your relationship with God. You mustn't lose that. So we want to stay away from that caricature. However, I believe our danger is probably more the opposite. And it's this. It's just this kind of emotion-based circumstance, conscience, conscious, kind of unbelief really, just this, this is how it is and it's never gonna change. Amen. (laughs) Something's missing there. Something is missing there. That's not right. It's, it, it doesn't end there. What does Paul say? we have felt the sentence of death in our body. So we might rely on God who raises the dead. You see, something's happened. He understands, he feels, he's honest about what it was like. But why did it happen? Because God raises the dead. And he wanted, to, he wanted us to rely on him. You understand that? There is, is that two things together. You get just one or just the other and you end up with a caricature. So our meditation on scripture is so important. Do you know what the word meditate means? It means murmur or mutter. It's about speaking the word of God. Chewing it over, speaking it, speaking around it. It's not chanting. That's another character. Just keep saying it. That's chanting. That's Buddhism. It's just chanting. To meditate is to engage the brain... And consider and speak about and think about and rehearse the promises in the Word of God. Do you talk to yourself? You should do. The psalmist talks to himself. Listen to this psalm. It's beautiful. It's all in here, okay? Psalm 42. You want to say, what is actually Steph getting at there? Read Psalm 42. Listen. As the deer pants the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, Where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. There it is. It's brutal. It's deep. It's honest. Pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng. He's remembering the past now and lead them in procession, brighter days, to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. But now listen, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's now speaking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then watch, bang, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, why have you forgotten me? There it is, brutally honest. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hallelujah. You see how that's working? That's the walk of faith. That's what David does. He's running at Goliath. Goliath starts to speak these things. I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. It's these lies. You imagine what goes on. What what goes on at that point? You're running at a 10 foot man who's threatening you within 10 seconds time. You're going to be laid out on the field and the birds are going to be pecking out your intestines. That's what he's being threatened with. What does he do? He comes back with this. He stops listening and he starts speaking there comes a point we have to say, do you know what? I've just had enough of these things. The most perfect example of this in the whole of scripture is Jesus in the wilderness. There he is physically at his lowest point. Fasted for 40 days. Physically just, you would imagine, just wrecked. Utterly vulnerable in that sense. And Satan comes along, as he does in those seasons, believe me. He's not a gentleman. He comes along. And begins to question his identity. If you're the son of God. If you're the son of God. There he is. What does Jesus do at this point? He doesn't get introspective. He doesn't go in on himself. He picks up what is known as the sword of the spirit. The word of God. Not va- it's not vague just oh, any other scripture it's one that will perfectly meet what is coming his way which is why the meditation of and the storing of scripture in your heart and having a sense of a, a, a toolkit you know which ones are available is so important because he, he wasn't flicking through his bible you know. he's in his heart he picks up his sword and he swipes at Satan boom you think is that it? no Satan comes again if you're the son of God he picks it up again bang now at this point you've done that twice and he comes again what do you start doing you start falling and bowing under the pressure no you keep swiping as long as it keeps coming bang and then he's off until an opportune time it's not the end but until he comes through that season he's speaking it out he's speaking out the word of God he's confessing the truth of scripture there is a nugget a truth in this that has been I would say neglected very often by our kind of church I would say a lot of the Pentecostal particularly black majority churches I would say they've seen it they've got it I think sometimes they've gone into the caricature I spoke about earlier but they've seen the thing it's there it's in there we take the word of God on our lips and speak it out you might say I feel like a nutter well Jesus did it alright that's all I can say Jesus did it so if it's good enough for him then it's got to be good enough for you It's so easy when the accusation comes to go in on yourself and what you start doing is you start stabbing yourself. Yeah? M- instead of swiping where it's coming from and building yourself up in your most holy faith. It's very important. Maybe you're here today and you you, know, you, you saying, I'm just here because someone brought me, man. This, what, what is this whole thing? You talked about the devil, it's about speaking to yourself. What's going on here? It's kind of... It's spiritual truth that I guess, in some ways, how it plays out, it all feels very natural. It plays out, generally speaking, in the, in the, in the battlefield of the mind. It's not like, I don't know, the devil appears as someone and you, ha- you actually see him. It plays out, really, that's the main battleground in the mind there. And, um, which is why we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim the truth, because it, 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 it renews the mind and it brings opportunity for the Spirit of God to come on and bring truth into our mind. And into our hearts, and um, we just say to you, just stay with me. We're going to get onto some stuff that will be really helpful for you. I want to go to our final point today. which is it's the whole idea of? It's, you really find it finally in the story. In um, <coughs> where are we? First forty-eight of one Samuel seventeen it says this. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. There it is. David ran quickly. I want to speak to you about forward thrust in the Christian life. This is massive. This is huge. The Christian life is described as a race. That should tell you something. (laughs) <laughs> it's described as a race how many people view the Christian life as various other things as, uh, I don't know, just a life of really rules and regulations I'm going to become a Christian and not be bad I mean, I wonder people don't become Christians if that's what they think it is I'm going to become a Christian and not be naughty there's more to it than that I mean, if that was it I don't think I'd be, I don't think I'd be part of it it's not just a life of... Now, are there things you do and don't do? Absolutely. But that's not the nature. You wouldn't sum it up as the fundamental nature of the thing to not do certain things. That's just way below what the Christian life is or maybe some see it as a bit part it's just like where I was kind of, just kind of introduced the Christianity thing into part of what, I'm, what I am and what I do it just becomes another element no it doesn't it, 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 what happens it takes over the whole direction and thrust of your life Jesus comes to rule and to reign in your life. Jesus comes as Lord, um, not as a Lord, as the Lord, not as a way, as the way, not as a savior, as the savior. He comes to establish himself entirely as preeminent in your heart and mind, in every realm and in every way. He comes to sit on the throne of your heart. Um, that, that is where he comes because he's the king. Okay? So, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, can you imagine if, I don't know, suddenly, you know, I don't know, someone said, you know, Steph the Queen wants to visit your home? No, that's not likely. Okay? But let's just imagine that happened. Someone says, the Queen's coming. What'd I do? There would be a few changes. There would be a few changes. I wouldn't be like, you know, oh, that's that's all right. She can can go over there. She can sit over there. be fine. There's pretty comfy. I wouldn't be, I'd be thinking, no, what can we do? Let's get some red carpet going. And, you know, she can keep her shoes on, you know, <laughs> special treats for the Liston household, she can keep her shoes on um, What can we do? Let's kind of, oh, let's put some, some pretty things on one of the seats, let's make it a little bit like a throne she, You know, she's used to that sort of stuff do You know, you would say, I want to make it different because of who she is If you want Jesus, he's the king, okay So doesn't, you can't just say, yeah, yeah come on in, get. no, everything changes Otherwise you are dishonouring him. Otherwise you are not esteeming him as you should. You're being irreverent. You are, and you're going to end up with a Jesus that may not well be, may well not be the Jesus that is actually Jesus. It might be someone you call Jesus, but really you never, you never really know, you don't really know him. You know, there's no real honour in your heart. He doesn't have the first place. He's not the Lord. He's just, it's just a friend or, you know, he's kind of, he comes along and he's nice and he brings you comfort. Jesus comes to rule. Now, his rule and his reign is liberating. He releases us from the slavery to ourselves, slavery to worshiping other things, slavery to our appetites, slavery to the ridiculous things we worship that we think are going to make our life worthwhile. He liberates us from all of that. And he makes us his slave. I'm a slave of Jesus. I'm a son of, I'm a, I'm a brother of Jesus. I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm a slave of Jesus. He's my master. Uh, and that's how it goes. Um,. And to not understand that will lead to a very truncated Christian life. And what, what, if you don't get that, do you know what? You will carry on letting yourself get away with all kinds of bad behavior and wondering why. Do you know what? Life doesn't really seem that glorious. It's because you're just... You don't fear him as you ought. It's really important that we get this right. The fear of the Lord is liberating cleansing it's beautiful so it's very very important and he marks us out a race and says this is the race marked out for you you haven't got to be overly concerned with other people or competitive because they've got their own different race Okay, it's a one horse race Okay, so, you haven't got to be oblique and say, oh, how are they doing? Oh, they didn't bet them. No, it's a different race for everyone, but it's all going in the same direction, which is his glory, his fame. Okay? Um, now, run it. Run it. Now, you've got to move forward if you're going to run a race, amen? Otherwise, you're in trouble in that race. You're not going to do too well. I want to speak into this whole idea of forward trust. You see, and let's just, let's just imagine for a minute you're sitting here and you're like, I'm worn out. Don't talk to me about running. Maybe one or two of you are feeling that, right? Don't talk to me about, I want a rest message. I don't want a running message. If I'd known it was a running message, I would have stayed in bed. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a moment. Because, I mean, I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian 19 years. Um, so you see a few things and you watch, you watch some stuff. And there was a point when we intervened. It's so funny. At our last church, we led the youth work. And we had a youth team. it's great. And then suddenly, this new trend developed of reassessing right so, so every week it seemed like one of our youth team not come to us and say I want to just step down from youth work I want to reassess ok I'm not going to fall short ok fine and then someone else would come and say just feel I need to reassess ok and next week just need some reassessing time ok great and you're thinking our team is just disintegrating now, at the time, you're concerned about the team and, and the young people that you're serving. Stepping back now, no longer doing that, you can just look at the objective and think, what happened there? A lot of those people were worn out, and a lot of them, they're reassessing was basically what? I'm going to stop serving in the church. <laughs> I'm going to stop, because I'm worn out. Okay? And what happened to uh, a lot of them? They got into inertia and paralysis. Some of them backslid. What? why? what was going on there? Here, here's, here's what I'm going to say I would say when people are worn out, occasionally they need to stop yes, there are seasons where you just need to just you know, take some time out, okay? I would say it's not, not usual, usually um, they've either been doing the wrong things or they've not been doing the right things. So what I mean is this. They've been doing the wrong things. So they've been serving in areas which are just, you know, it's just kind of like, doesn't suit them. Wears them out. Ties them out. It's not their fit. It's not their gift. Okay? Or they've not been doing the right things. So they've been serving in the right area, but they've just neglected their walk with the Lord, their devotions. Just walk, just loving Him. Just being filled with the Spirit. They've neglected those things. Meditating on the Word. And as a result, they've become worn out and burnt out. Stopping doing that serving is not going to solve it or just going into just kind of a kind of passive mode is really not going to help it's often misdiagnosed people stop altogether and drift sets in why? because God's called you to run the race and what does that look like? part of that a big part of it is about being immersed in church life and a big part of that is serving it's not consuming just come and give me, give me no, it's serving we, we serve one who didn't come to be served but came to serve we serve a king who came to serve So we serve. Okay? So I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to serve. Now our identity is not wrapped up in that. We're wrapped up in the fact we're children of God by his grace. But we want to follow him and copy him, don't we? And he served, so we have come to serve. And so often I feel there's, just a, there's a misdiagnosis and there's not enough pastoral wisdom. In, or people just don't even go for wisdom. Go, go to ask advice and counsel. They just make these rash decisions because they panic or whatever. And they do this thing and it doesn't work. Now I want to just um, help understand that a little bit. And help you understand the dynamics of Christian advance. okay? Because it's very, very delicate. Number one, being a Christian is a little bit like being on one of those forward-moving escalators you get at the airport. You seen those? Yeah, are they called escalators? If they're flat, are they called something else? Travelators Thank you I I did have I had a niggle When I I thought It's about climbing Uh, But I couldn't think What it was called Okay Travelators So if you've never been To an airport Or seen one of these things Here's what happens Basically you know At the tube stations You get the moving stairs The escalators Well at airports now Because it's these Crazy long walks To terminals and stuff They've got these things But they're flat So basically It's amazing You're walking on it And you're like Whoa I'm covering some Serious distance here And uh, it's great If it's more than one of you Because you can say to him You stay on the normal ground I'm going to go on here And we're both going to walk normally I mean it's exciting strangely Kind <laughs> of like a superhero you know you're just casually walking and you're just taking people out right that is a little bit what it's like being a Christian yeah it is there's an element to that Gra- the grace of God okay you get somewhere and you think how did I get here you know how have I grown this much you know or you, you pray about a situation and, it's, and you, think, you think about the prayer you think that prayer wasn't very amazing and then suddenly Jesus goes bang 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 opens doors there shuts doors there provides something there you're like whoa it's just it's exactly the same dynamics the grace of God it's a beautiful thing um, I can give you a, a, a bible reference it's not about travelators but it's, it helps us with the dynamics dynamic um uh, the apostle paul says i've got it here the apostle paul says um i worked harder than any of them he's talking about the other apostles i worked harder than any of them though it wasn't me but the grace of god that's with me okay the grace of god releases and energizes you to make ground that you can never make naturally it's incredible you're like what's going on here it's the grace of god that's what it's like okay it energizes it gives a power to what you do that is completely out of proportion with what you do Okay? You think, how has God used me like that? That is, it's beautiful, that is the Christian uh, dynamic. God's at work in you, as it says in Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you're a Christian, God's at work in you. Now if you're currently not a Christian, not a believer, in that sense you, you, the Bible describes you as alienated from him. You don't know that dynamic. You don't know that wonder of him indwelling you and his grace empowering you. You don't know it. Even if you've been going to church for years, you don't know that because that grace comes by being born of the Spirit, by being born again, by coming to Christ and and receiving him as the Son of God and as your Lord and Saviour. That's what brings you into that grace life, okay? It's the glory, it's the one. That's what you need. Okay? don't take on any of the intricacies of what I've talked about today before you've done this receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Saviour bow the knee to him and let his grace come in and begin to utterly transform you okay? that's what you need to do you need to repent of your sins and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ but if you're a believer you know what I'm talking about there, are, there is an element where you think well, how am I accomplishing this but here's the other thing um, it's also like being on a backward moving travelator being a Christian. How so? Here's how so: to stand still as a Christian always leads to backsliding. Always. Any believer who stands still and just attempts, I'm just gonna, just gonna, just gonna, because Jesus is always moving, right? So if you're not moving, you're not following Him anymore. Okay. So it's like, okay, I'm going to just kind of take some time out of the Jesus thing. You're gonna you're not following anymore he's moving now the Bible speaks about one particular season where we are called to just stand and not run that's Ephesians 6 the day of evil there are seasons where hell's blast is so strong that God says I know stand just stand In this season, you are not called to actually make any ground or press forward. You're called to simply stand because the blast of satanic attack is so strong that actually to stand requires all of your effort and you draw on every bit of grace that God has got for you. There are those seasons. But there are particular seasons that come and you get through. The normal Christian stance is, I'm running. It's a race, following Jesus. And to stop due to laziness due to being seduced by other things, uh, or for whatever other reason. You, you, just got, you just let your guard down. Man, it happens so easily. Man, it happens so easily. Please don't think it's only you. It happens so easily. Just let it slip. And you find, man, my heart's growing cold. The Bible just doesn't really, you know. And you just find something's happened internally. you have backslidden in your spirit. You've backslidden in your spirit. I'm still going to church. No, you've backslidden in your spirit. That's what's happened. What do I do? Run. Okay? Run to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will be convicting you if that's you. Okay? You haven't got to search and try and find it. And the Holy Spirit will bring he, He shines it on and he says, hey. And you're like, oh. If that is you either you know what to do you shake the thing off you repent and you get running or you say do you know what I'm actually I feel like I'm actually trapped I feel like I kind of took my eyes off the ball I looked away and you know what I've got, I've got snared and I don't know the way out of this one then we will walk with you out of it we will counsel you we will support you and help you we love you we love you because all of us know how easy it is to get snared okay there's grace for you there is grace for you. It's really important that you understand this. David ran at Goliath. Jesus ran at the mountain of sin, death and Satan, and overcame them all so that we could be saved. What do we do? We run into battle for people's lives. And in London, you know, it can just get so busy, stressful pressurized, that you just get into survival zone. And really you think, you know what, I'm just, it's just, and it's so important, God needs to keep lifting our heads saying, no, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. The early disciples in Jerusalem, they, they, they shared about Jesus like, man, they couldn't stop. And then they got a lot of opposition. Listen to their response when they prayed. Last scripture, they said this, now Lord... Rather than coming under the pressure, under the just, they, they lifted their eyes to God. They start their prayer with all about the sovereignty of God, and then they say, "And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." That hour, the pressure's on. They've been threatened, intimidated. Even flogged. I think, no, not by this point. They haven't been flogged by this point. They've just been threatened and intimidated. And they say, God, give us what we need so we can do what we're called to do. You do amazing signs and wonders because we want to see your holy servant Jesus glorified in people's lives. That's the focus. That's where we stay. We've got to keep there and not let our mind be taken one way or the other. Amen.